0: He's prowling about like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. He wants to pull our faith right out from underneath us. He wants us, Father, to be disheartened and discouraged. He wants us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're someplace when we're not. Anything he can do to mess with our faith, he will. So, Father, I pray that right now your word would go forth with... um, by the power of your spirit. Father, uh, we understand again that uh, your word is life and light and the preaching of the word is crucial for the welfare of the church. So help me, Father, in my own heart to handle the word faithfully. I've been preaching it to myself all week in my preparation. It's good. Lord, if I'm not hearing your word, then I have no business proclaiming your word. So, Take this time in our service now and may us may we be receptive to the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Working our way through Romans again and uh, we're going to take a little bit of a detour with Philippians because Philippians chapter 2 that Jerry read really uh, is a good uh, expanded commentary on what Paul summarizes in Romans 12 verses 15 and 16. So, Romans and in Philippians 2, Paul commands believers who are in community. He always has community. He always has the church in the back of his mind as he's writing his epistles. Who are members together in the body of Christ. He commands us to have the mindset. Have a mindset toward one another that actually conforms to the mind or the frame of mind of Christ himself. Very important. What Paul lays out in detail in Philippians 2, 1 through 5, he presents in Romans 12, 15 and 16. And the Romans 12, 15 and 16 is the text this morning. So as the very Son of God, Lord Jesus, as the very Son of God did not consider the reality of his full and complete equality with God. Now note this as something to be grasped. As something to be held on to so as to give him a just platform or a basis by which he could maintain the inherent rights of his equality. Rather, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. The Son of God who shares the full equality of God did not hold on to the rights of that equality, but humbled himself by taking on human flesh. Do you hear me? He humbled himself. He became a human being. But not a lofty human being who had prominent social standing like a king or a prince. He became a servant. No, 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 no. He became a slave. The word in the Greek is not diakonos; It's doulos. It's slave. He became a slave. In other words, though in reality he was the incarnate son of God, he humbled himself to take on our nature, to live as a servant or slave to men and women, and eventually to die in the place. Of the undeserving. Listen, you and I are completely undeserving. In humility and out of genuine concern for others, the Son of God did not put his interests and his welfare before ours. He denied himself the privileges that were rightly his because of his deity and equality with God so as he might serve us by his obedient human life. His obedient human life. What was he doing? He was serving us. By his life he was serving us and then by, off, by offering his obedient life again up as a penal sacrifice. How is he putting your interests before himself? By offering obedience to God's law in our stead and by taking the full curse of that law upon himself in our place. Who was he thinking of? He wasn't thinking of himself. But you and I think of ourselves way too much. We are so tied up with ourselves. Every single human being in this room including the man standing before you. We are so taken up with ourselves, brothers and sisters, and that is our main problem. That is our main problem. Now all that time of his earthly sojourn in human flesh, he was holding the universe together. Do you realize that? He was sustaining what he had What he as the agent of creation was responsible for calling into existence. As he was nursing at his mother's breast, he was keeping the cosmos together. He was controlling the weather, exercising his providence in human affairs and governing the cosmos. He did not cease to be equal with God, nor lay aside any of his divine attributes. But Rather, all of this was concealed behind the veil of his assumed human nature. So, What is the mind of Christ that we're told to have? It is his willingness not to to grasp his inherent rights, but to deny them for the express purpose of putting the interests and welfare of others before himself. When it's said he emptied himself, that's what it means. doesn't mean he set aside his deity. doesn't mean he set aside his glory. It means he set aside himself for your sake. For my sake. Now this is to be the general mindset of each of you this morning. But it's not. I know that's not. You know how I know that? It's not my mindset either. Oh, I need Jesus to help me with this. We are called to have this same mind of Christ. The primary way that the New Testament writers see Christians engaging with one another is within the fellowship of a particular church body. Christians, you see, rarely, if ever, gathered in mass in the early. By mass, I mean in groups, large groups. Okay, I'm not talking about. You find it in 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 Acts chapter two again in the temple. That's true, but normally they came together at first, um, again in what we call house churches or small gatherings or assemblies that could be accommodated in someone's house. They 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 gathered together. They. Gathered together. They gathered together. There's an example of Paul in Acts 19, where he's in Ephesus for two years, and as the church was growing, they did rent a lecture hall. But that's an anomaly. Those early Christians were drawn to associate with one another under the leadership of ordained overseers. See that in Acts 14. Paul makes disciples, and he also ordains elders. Certainly many of them traveled, traveled, about the Roman Empire. There were many merchants maybe or whatever. They traveled and that's why Paul urges believers in various communities to pursue hospitality, the love of strangers. Yet they were drawn into these close-knit societies called ecclesias or assemblies for the sake of worship, for the sake of receiving instruction and giving support to one another both spiritually and materially. And then living out the gospel. Living out the gospel in a largely pagan world called the Roman Empire. On their jobs, in the marketplace, of the forum. You know, many of them were slaves. Many of them had masters. So all that's true. Yet the call to be a gospel society remains for Christians in the early 21st century too. And we're not doing a very good job. We're not doing a very good job. Today's text gives us a snapshot, a summary of what our church society is to be like in giving expression to the mind of Christ. The text is again a further outworking of the previous passages in Romans we've looked at. There are kind of a couple of clear, uh, important texts in Romans 12. We, we've seen it already. Uh, Those who, in light of God's mercies to them, offer their bodies as living sacrifices, having their minds ongoingly renewed, not conforming to the world but being transformed, you see, will want to gather. Will want to gather, and will want to use their gifts for the good of the church. The good of the church they will. If this will be fleshed out in believers rubbing elbows with one another in local communities called churches. And this is how Christian societies are to function, okay? They're to express this genuine love for one another, love that hates evil and love that clings to what's good. I will broaden this out to include Christian marriages, families, and even institutions like schools or various ministries. But the primary model is right here this morning. It's right here. This is a laboratory. It's called the local church. All right? It's called the local church. So let's look at the text. Okay? First, Christian society. A Christian association is to be first marked by intimate care and concern for one another. Hear me? It's marked by intimate care and concern for one another. And this is the idea, this intimate care and concern is seen in verse 15. Ready? Are you ready? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The first mark of a Christian community, the first mark of a Christian society is to be care. Concern for one another. Heartfelt Care for one another. Paul amplifies on this in 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to what he says here. He says, That there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care, the same concern for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The reality is that Christians, by virtue of being Christians, (laughs) are members of the body of Christ. Yet, that has to come to expression. Don't walk around saying, I'm a member of the body of Christ and you don't have a local church that you identify with because if that's the case, you're sinning. It's very clear from the New Testament that Paul gives us a grand theological scheme of what membership is, but then you see gathered Christians, don't you? The way it, that we show the reality of our, the theology of membership, our covenant and spirit-wrought bond with every believer in Christ, and thus every believer individually members of the body of Christ, is that we commit ourselves to a local body. Ready? Warts and all. boy, I passed a lot of local churches and I don't want to do this. You know why? Because people like you and me are there. Right? You know the old adage, I want to find a perfect church. Well, as soon as you find it, it's not perfect anymore because you're there. Churches, the church isn't perfect. Local church isn't perfect. And speaking as a pastor, may I I just go off the rabbit trail quickly? I hate the rotation of the saints. Find a church, commit yourself to it, and stay plugged in there, and serve Christ by serving the people that are there. It's that simple. It's that simple. Unless there's rank heresy in the church, or rank immorality that's not being dealt with, and it, can't, it won't be dealt with, then my goodness gracious, you stay for the long haul. It doesn't depend on who the guy in the pulpit is. If the guy in the pulpit is a godly man, if the guy in the pulpit preaches the word faithfully, if the guy in the pulpit loves you with his whole heart, you stay committed to him and committed to the elders. It's that simple. And we have work to do here. We've got to see the cultivation of this kind of care more evident than we do even now. I understand that. I feel that myself. So the exhortations that we find in this, in this regard can only be truly obeyed if we pledge ourselves to, in accountable ways to a particular local church. And so what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, or 12.27, I should say, should be emblazoned as a banner over this church. Okay, Over the Whitefield Christian Church. Now you all. I'll give a southern, act, southern slang because it's plural. You all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Individually members of it. So we are to make sure with the help of the Holy Spirit that there's no divisions in the body. No fissures, no cracks, no relational breaks. Come on. This is primarily achieved by the members, you and me, who have pledged commitment to have the same care for one another. Literally, literally, you can translate that, have the same anxiety for one another. Really, that's what the word means. Have the same anxiety for one another. Now, when Paul uses the term members, okay, the, the phrase members, right away, it, it means there's differences. Have you noticed that? There's differences. The very fact is, there's members, members. There's differences. Now think of your own members. My wife Cheryl hurt her little pinky. Uh, she's she, she can't even stretch it out. She fell and and it's all the ligaments are all pushed up and she's got to go see a surgeon tomorrow. But I'm telling you, to see that little finger and see the rest of her body struggle. A little finger. You think oh, I don't need a little finger? <laughs> But you notice the little finger is different than the thumb. Have you notice that? And it's different than the eye. Have you notice that? Different than the nose. All right? Members imply differences. That's the different gifts, the different, the different interests, the different passions, just the difference, the difference. Okay, there's differences. And we see the differences, for example, in earlier part of Romans 12, with the different gifts. That's true. but nonetheless. The little finger is to have concern for the eye, and the eye is to have concern for the little finger. And again, members are to have care for one another. And that's what Paul means. We're we're to enter into the joys and sorrows of one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And in 1 Corinthians, we read it not as a command, but as a description. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What is occurring in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the church should concern us. So that our reactions to one another actually agree with the joys and sorrows others are experiencing. We are therefore to rejoice with those who rejoice. This means that when another brother or sister under the providence of God has good things come their way that cause them to be happy. Or as a source of rejoicing for them, we are to enter into their rejoicing as though the good had fallen upon us. Really. Or we are likewise to weep with those who weep. This means that when another brother or sister under the providence of God experienced a loss that leads to sorrow and weeping, we are to enter into their sorrow as though the loss had fallen upon us. That's what Paul says. Now, it's been noted by commentators for ages, for centuries, that these two responses, that of these two responses, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, that rejoicing with those who rejoice is harder than weeping with those who weep. I agree. You think you know why? It's due to the fact that we are all prone toward jealousy and envy every single one of us. It's easy for us to com- comfort those who have loss, isn't it? It really is, when we have no loss. So we're kind of comforting them from the position of, of you know, we're kind of stronger. Now, we should still do that. We should, we should weep with those who weep, but it, 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 it's, it's truly, again, it's easier for us to comfort those who have lost when we have no loss than it is truly to delight in the good that comes into others' lives when that good hasn't come into our lives. He got the advancement? That's a new car you're driving? Okay? I mean, we, we, we tend to have a harder time, don't we, rejoicing with those who rejoice? So what we see here, nonetheless, is it takes God's grace, doesn't it? It takes God's grace for us to think less of ourselves in such a way or not to think of ourselves at all so that we can actually share with care in the hurts of others and in the, in the joys of others. And that's what it's about. Second, the Christian society is to be marked by harmony in our thinking toward one another. And harmony of our thinking toward one another, be the same mind toward one another. Be the same mind toward one another. This does not mean that we are to think the same. Someone, is there a conversation going on here? Um, okay. Um. Jim, could you, uh, d- Jerry, could you ask whoever's having that conversation to take it downstairs, please, gently and lovingly? Okay. All right. Please, please. I do not know what's going on out there. Okay. I think our deacons are busy, but... All right. Okay, the the second mark of a Christian society is to be marked by harmony in our thinking toward one another. Okay? Be of the same mind toward one another, literally. Be of the same mind toward one another. This does not mean, as I said, that we think the same. Or have the same perspective on whatever issue comes up for discussion. Okay? It's not what it means. Notice what it says. It does not say have the same mind with one another. You with me? It says have the same mind toward one another. Thank you. Have the same mind toward one another. And this means that we are to embrace the Bible's teaching on how we are to see one another. First as image bearers of God. If you're all looking at one another that way, you're in the right path. And then, members of the community of those redeemed by grace, this means that we are to embrace the Bible's teaching on how we are to engage with one another. You see, toward one. Have the same mind toward one another. It is the gospel. And the ethical conduct that rises from the gospel that engenders the harmony that the Holy Spirit empowers us to cultivate in our relationships with one another. Harmony is not sameness, though. First, there to be, for, for there to be harmony, there must be differences. You realize that? Ever heard of barbershop quartet? I mean, there are four, different, four major differences there, but boy, can they bring it together. See, it, harmony implies differences, different members who function together in such a way as to produce a kind of masterpiece of sound or vision. Or We're to think the same way toward one another. I don't expect you to think the same as I think. You and I may differ on certain things, but I'm to think of you the same way you're to think of me. Imagine, imagine going to an orchestra, hearing a I don't know I'm not a musician, but you, you see, there's this beautiful orchestra. You know, you've got the wind instruments, you've got the brass, you've got the, the wood instruments, you've got the, you got the, the violins and the cellos, you've got the, the, the drums in the back, you've got the bassoons, you've got all these instruments. See? How many hundreds of them in this orchestra? You get the picture? You get the picture?' It's a beautiful orchestra. Well, what do you think if every single instrument was playing a different piece of music? Sadly, that's often the church. What do you want that orchestra to do? You want all those different pieces to play the same music. That's what Paul is saying. Be of the same mind toward one another. Be of the same mind. We saw the difference in Romans 12, 3-8 about the different gifts. And in Romans 12, 9-16, we see how we are to be of the same mind toward one another. We are to have the mind of Christ in our dealings with one another. We are to put the interests of the other before ourselves. Each of us is to embrace the same mindset. Paul puts it this way, doesn't he, in Philippians? Do nothing from selfish ambition conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If every single one of us in this church looked at each other and had that same mind toward each other, would it make a difference? You better believe it would. That's what Paul's saying. I'm to think the same toward you in regard to having the mind of Christ. This is the same mind or attitude we're to have in our relationships. What a difference this would make if in in my heart and your heart, we were both equally committed to treat one another in this way, regardless of what the circumstances might be. We are the same mind that we will do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. We're the same mind there. I'm going to do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit. And you're going to do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit. The same mind toward one another. We are to have the same mind that we will do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit. We are the same mind that will regard the other as more important than ourselves. We're the same mind that we will not only concern ourselves with our own interests, that's the responsible thing to do, by the way, but also we'll be ready to look out to the interests of others. We're to have the same mind that we will make sure that we have Christ's mind working within us. That's what Paul is saying. You, you, can, you can think differently about various things, but when it comes to having the mind of Christ, we are to think the same toward one another. This is the same mind that we're to have toward one another, to see the other as one whom I am called to serve for Christ's sake. It's hard for me on a Sunday morning because I'm all wound up and you know trying to get this stuff ready and all that stuff. And I've been really trying to make an effort when you come up to talk to me, all right, that I that I that I that I look you in the face and I listen. I'm not always successful in doing that. Because I'll tell you, my mind is usually, what am I going to be doing at around you know, eleven o'clock? You understand that, all right? But nonetheless, I want to listen to you. One of my pet peeves. <laughs> it's probably because I have the same problem. You know, when you're in conversation with people. When you, have, when you have conversations with people, I'm talking about Christian people, and they never ask how you're doing. They're just a fountain of information about themselves. I, I spend a lot of time dealing with that. I mean, it's okay. But you know, you've got to stop. You've got to think about other people. you got to think. You've got to listen. You've got you to look them in the eye and talk to them. And listen, and, and be genuinely concerned about their welfare. You know, um, now there are times when you can't do that. I mean, there are times when I'll have to honestly say I can't. I can't give this the kind of attention I want to right now. But I'll get back to you. Why don't we do that? Because you see, at at the at the core, it's all about us. We're, we're pretty much. Involved with our routines, our agendas, our grandkids. Our, you, know, you know, all that stuff is important, I know. But it's not the mind of Christ, is it?
1: <laughs> Jesus
0: is sitting at a well at midday. This lonely woman comes walking to him. And he starts a conversation. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ... Okay, so a Christian society is to be a society marked by care, marked by harmony, ready, last, by humility. By humility. In our treatment of one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. This means that we're not to be selective with whom in the body of Christ we care for. There's to be no preferential treatment. All external distinctions in rank or social standing have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. There are no lords and ladies among us. No queens and kings among us. Let's break it down. Humility entails, first of all, I'll be negative, I'll be negative because the text is negative. Do not be haughty. Do not be haughty. Literally, do not mind the high things. Do not mind the high things. Some of these high things, though, are important. This has to do with matters of knowledge and skill and mental capacities. There are also high responsibilities and tasks. I would argue that only certain people are gifted to handle. Really? That's true. What human person possessed, what human person possessed the highest of all capabilities knowledge, skill and moral goodness? Who is that person? The Lord Jesus? And he did not mind high things. That's the key. That's the operating principle here. Isn't it there aren't high things in your life that you have to pay attention to? Just don't mind them. And what does that mean? Well, Jesus was not fixated on what he indeed was true about himself. Thus he did not come across in a smug condescending, contemptuous, disdainful, or even snooty way. I can do that real well. Snooty way. There are people in this church who are smarter, more capable, more learned, more wise, wealthier, and have more responsibilities than others. And for those who do the call here is to not mind high things. In other words, don't let them go to your head. As a matter of fact, here's a good rule of thumb from 1 Corinthians. What do you have that you have not received? The answer is, everything you have, you received. So don't let them give you airs. Don't let them become a mountain from which you look down on your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, King David was a gifted man, was he not? A musician, a poet, a songwriter, a warrior, a king, a man after God's own heart. These are high things. High things. That he learned not to put his mind on high things. Psalm 131 is one of the most important psalms, I think, for me personally in my life. God's given me a lot of advantages in my life. A lot of educational opportunities that I thank him for. But boy, I tell you. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised on high things. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. David just knew where he needed to put his emphasis. Yeah, God gave him much, much, much to do and much responsibility and all of that, but he wasn't walking around thinking, ah, gee, what a great guy I am. Look at all the high things I'm concerned with. In contrast, we're told, in contrast to minding high things, being haughty, willingly associate with the lowly. Literally, this is translated, be carried away. With those that are lowly. It's not clear if Paul is talking about lowly tasks or lowly people. Okay, it's not clear. The text isn't clear. It is certainly the case that the Lord Jesus engaged in both. He engaged, excuse me, that water's good the second time. He 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 was he was engaged in low tasks and dealing with low people. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. They're all in the upper room, but not a single one of them was willing to play the servant. And Jesus takes off his outer garments and takes a pitcher and takes a a, a cup or a thing of water, pours it, and he goes around and starts washing their feet. Now, this is not a sacrament. Some churches practice feet washing. Okay, that's fine. But he's giving us an example what does he do? He does a lowly task for lowly people. In reality, not a single of his, single one of his disciples were superior to him. Were they? Were they? No. So certainly in contrast to him, they were, a lower, they were lower than him and in nature and in status, yet he nevertheless engaged in a humble task for those whom he outranked and outclassed. Leaving us an example you really know what's going on here, don't you? You know what he's really doing? He's giving them a drama of the cross. That's what he's doing. He's really acting out what's going to happen to him in a few hours. How does Jesus really wash your feet, brothers and sisters? By dying on the cross. Cleanse you. So within Christian society, in relationships between Christians, we are to be carried away with lowly tasks and lowly folk. Lowly tasks and lowly folk. We are to be willing to engage in humble and mean tasks, low tasks, low jobs, as they come our way and associate with humble and lowly and needy believers who are part of our Christian society. James puts it very well. He's pointing out the danger of preferential treatment. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the man who, who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet and be quiet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Finally, in terms of humility, You and I as Christians are not to be conceited. Conceited. The translation literally, do not be wise in your own estimation or in your own eyes. Do not assess yourself that way. In contrast to others. The phrase in your own eyes suggests an overestimation of yourself. Really. Now let's just play the devil's advocate. Let's say you do have a 200 IQ. You really do. You're a Stephen Hawking's on steroids. You, 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 you're really there. You, know, you got a, a, a 200 IQ and you are a, sk- a, sk- or a skilled craftsman. Or your walls are lined with trophies. So that's true about you. That's true. That's true. I mean, hey, that's true. You're not to let it go to your head. In contrast to other people. And We do that. This does not mean that you are not to know your abilities. Come on. That's a false kind of humility. I mean, but of course you are, but you are not to stand on them in such a way as to leave you thinking that you are so superior as to be above others in the body of Christ. And Jesus does it again. You know, I mean, in the ancient world, kids really were not to be heard. Parents see Jesus and they, they want Jesus to bless their kids. They want their kids to come to Jesus. And Jesus' disciples, who are a conceited bunch of rabble-rousers, by the way, no, no, don't let them come. And Jesus said, what are you doing? Don't prevent the little children from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Listen. Conceit is a form of pride. It's a terrible form of pride. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's. I, I'm I'm. If I'm conceited, I I I put myself in a superior place, and I'm I'm not going to be open to deal with the most needy among us. Doesn't mean you're not. You don't. If you have a 200 IQ, great. Keep it to yourself. That's wonderful. But but. That isn't, that is, don't stand on that and say, I cannot, cannot help this person down here. And if you have a, a trophy, trophies in your house, that's wonderful. But don't, don't use them as the basis of, of, of not reaching down to the person who has not a single tin pot on his shelf. So you're not to be conceited and hence lifted up in your own mind above others so that serving them, caring for them, putting their interests before your own is beneath you. That's what Paul says. This is rank vanity. It's rank narcissism. It's rank self-love. It's egotistical. It is ugly. Vainglory. To be conceited is also, listen, James says this, this conceited person, like, there are two things that actually happen in some of these passages. Paul says, selfish ambition and vain conceit. Selfish ambition. So I'm ambitious, but I'm ambitious for my own interests. And I'm conceited because what that means, I'm going to fall here. What that means is that, is that my vision of what's right, I know is right because I'm right. And Paul says, no, no. And so a conceited person, you see, is often never open to reason. They're not not open to be reasoned with. They're, they're, they're They're not able to be reasoned with. It's like your way is the right way because in your mind it's the best way for after all it's your way. So a conceited person is not open to reason and James indicates that those who are indeed humble and possess heavenly wisdom will be open to reason. Listen, husbands and wives get this way all the time. You get in your verbal fights. What is it that's really operating? It's your way. And you believe your way's right. It's her way and she believes her way's right. All right? And there's no reasoning. You're not open to reason and the fight continues. It's ugly and happens in the church. Okay, let me finish up. Care, harmony, and humility are the attributes that are to mark a Christian society. A local church, the Christian marriage, the Christian home, and other Christian associations and ministries. This is to be indeed what it means to have and to display the mind of Christ in our relationships with one another as followers of the Lord Jesus. who did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. So, listen. Do a quick inventory. It's going to be painful, but do it. Where there is disregard for the accomplishments and heartbreaks of fellow believers. just complete disregard. Where there is discord, fighting, yelling, cursing, foul language, and hostility. And where there is conceit, vanity, self-regard, and self-admiration. These graces of care and harmony and humility are not present and you are grieving the Holy Spirit. You are. This is due to the fact that when those graces are missing, when care is missing, when harmony is missing, a desire for and humility is missing, there is no living sacrifice being offered. There's no transformation taking place. Rather, those who profess Christ Are being conformed to the world. So there is no genuine love. There is no hating of what is evil. And there is no clinging to what is good. And you're grieving. The Holy Spirit. So what's the counsel? Stop it. Repent. Stop it. And repent. And call on Christ. To help you change your mind. Because you know what? When that stuff is really not there in your life. Where there's no care. No harmony. No humility. And there's all the other stuff I mentioned. The devil's having a field day, beloved. You're playing right into his hand. You feel it, don't you? So stop it. And repent. If We are to live in harmony with one another. We are not to act. And we are not to be haughty. But we are to associate with the lowly. We are never to be wise in our own sight. This is the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father God I pray that you would take. What we have heard this morning. And you would apply it to our hearts. In ways that we need you to. Father. Lord I am a cussed independent, stubborn, haughty, conceited soul. Father, I'm caught up with vainglorious thoughts. I, Lord, I, I continue to need your help. I need you to, I need to have that pineal experience where Jacob wrestled with the angel and lost. Lord, I want to wrestle with you and I want to lose. I want to lose big time, Father. I want to end that wrestling match limping, trusting you trusting you obeying you I pray for our church body I pray for the marriages that are here I pray for the families that are here Father I, Lord I know there's so much lying going on at times we, we leave this place we go home and we, we don't live it out We don't live it out in our marriages. We don't live it out in our families. We don't live it out at work. Father, as soon as we remove ourselves from the community, it's as though things fall apart all around us. We need Jesus so desperately. May the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, sanctify us. May he work in our hearts to transform us. May we indeed, because of your mercies, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. May we not be conformed to this world. May we be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we would truly make sure our love is not hypocritical. Our love is genuine and we hate what is evil and we cling desperately to what is good. Oh, Father, help us because we need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Steve and the crew.